to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected, brought to you by Stone Road. As always, we like to talk about things related to crisis management, disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, anything that can help you prepare, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. As you might tell if you're watching on YouTube, that it's that time again. Mm-hmm. I'd like to welcome back for our January talk, Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, Happy New Year. It's so good to see you. Happy New Year to you. And uh, you're out in California. I just want to make sure everyone knows you are safe, considering all the headlines we've seen lately. We have had torrential downpours, but in a drought state, we're very happy to have them. So even though it's been tough, but yes, we're doing fine. Thank you for asking. Great. And this is our first show of uh, 2023, Mm -hmm. our first update. And uh, I looked it up today. This is uh, episode, I guess you can call these episodes with us, between you and I, number 34, believe it or not. Oh, my God. Yeah. I talked to you more than I talked to my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Remember when we started, we thought this would only be, you know, a a couple of months. Well, you thought that, but, you know, the pandemic planner and me thought this would go on forever. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you you have that background. You would know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I never thought, you know, 34 months later, we'd still be doing this. I know. Talking about some of the same things. And we're going to touch on a, a little bit of that. And we're going to try and finish. A topic we started a while back, but uh, we didn't get very far into. <laughs> right. We're going to do better. We're going to do better. This, So all of your listeners, don't worry. We're going to be much more disciplined, aren't we? Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we just jump right in and, and, and start talking uh, where we are with COVID and the pandemic? Great. Super. I'm going to share my screen because I have a deck of slides, as I often do. And what I'm going to talk about initially uh, is I want to talk just about where we are. So just as as Alex was saying, we're going to do a very quick overview of what was happening with COVID really quick. And then we're going to try and finish what I started last, actually it was November, which is the individual Mm -hmm. and societal impacts of the pandemic and really drill down into two things that really directly impact our profession, which is the human impacts of COVID and also the future of work. I just want to mention where we are as far as in the United States and what's happening with the the uh, subvariants, which, as you know, has become an alphabet soup for sure. Uh, and now we're still having all of these different variations of Omicron. And as you can see from this particular slide, the current subvariant that is just ripping through the U.S. and many parts of the world is XBB.1.5, which actually uh, is a uh, variation of the Omicron variant. Um, BA2, and it actually hails out of uh, Singapore. If you look at the slide, you can see that it started 
actually here in the United States very slowly uh, at the very beginning of December, but you can see it has rapidly gained steam. It's the purple, if you're watching this on YouTube, it's the purple uh, vertical line. And as you can see now, it is really ripping through the U.S. And so it's making up at least 50% of all cases. And very, very quickly, it'll probably completely dominate uh, the United States. It is just as infectious as uh, measles. So that's Ooh. infectious, right? And so um, that's become an issue. As far as our, co our COVID case count, we have a very high plateau that we have landed on here in the U.S., with about 40,000 people in the, U in, in the U.S. in hospitals for COVID, and about 5,000 of those are in ICUs. In November, when I gave the same update, it was about 20,000 people in the hospital and about 3,000 people in ICUs. So that's a big bump up. And our current death toll is averaging about 500 people a day dying of COVID-19 in the United States. However, this has become really a, a disease of people that are older. So if you're 65 and older in particular, if you have any comorbidities, you are the ones that we're seeing hospitalized now and you are the ones that we are seeing dying. So lots of cases, of course, the case counts don't mean anything anymore because there's very few people getting PCR tested, but we are having still a significant impact in hospitals and in deaths. Now in your lovely, uh, here's a slide for you to speak to if you'd like to, Alex. Yeah, I thought this was a uh, interesting slide because the picture you took is actually from the Government of Canada website. That's right. Of Canada. Uh, I was on there this morning, and when you sent your slides, I went, wait a minute, I've seen that before. <laughs> and right. Went to your deck and went, oh, I know where she's got this. <laughs> right. You guys are but, still having a lot of BA5, though. As you, So you're you yeah. know behind where we were, right? Yeah. Well, usually what happens is we, uh, even with COVID, we're not far behind you. Anything that happens right. to you eventually mm -hmm. happens to us. And let's face it, we've got open borders now. Right. So we we know something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. you know, it's heading our way. The a couple of quick updates, though, that uh, in the local area where I live, the few cities, they are reporting that over the last week, some of their uh, what they are able to count as cases are heading down. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people that are, and I know quite a few that have actually had COVID in the last little while, uh, most of them are not taking tests anymore. Mm -hmm. Nobody is taking a test, one, because they're hard to get to. And if they, or, or try to find, I, I should say, and if they're trying to get to a hospital or a clinic to find out if they've got COVID, they're telling them to stay away anyway. Right. So people are just saying, fine, I, I think I've got COVID, I'm staying home. If I get really bad, then I'm going to emergency, you know, mm -hmm. um, otherwise people are just staying home. But the radio was announcing that some of the counts are going down. The hospitalizations were heading down a little bit. I'm, that's just our area. So, but mm -hmm. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that that continues. Um, I am seeing an uptick in people wearing masks now. Ah, very great. The, yeah, it, it's not a large uptick, but uh, when I was out a little while ago uh, on the weekend, I noticed that, oh, you might have seen one or two people in this store, grocery store wearing masks. Now I'm seeing about 20 or 30. That's great. You know, and so I'm like, okay, well, that's a good sign. And I and I think this, um, the XBB uh, variant, is, uh, and what we're seeing in the news now, is creating that. So I'm hoping that continues. You mm -hmm. know, that's hopefully how we'll be able to fight it. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I just was visiting some family in uh, Los Angeles over the weekend and flew down there and my husband and I were the only masked persons 
uh, as far as the eye could see in the airport. That was a little discouraging, but yeah. oh, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Okay. Well, then, uh, so that's good. So it sounds like things are doing well in Canada. So let's dig in and talk about what we're going to talk about here today. So in our last um, episode, which was in November, we talked about kind of the overview of what's happening globally as far as the impacts of the pandemic. So as we talked about, you know, most people are over this and really, unless you're probably above the age of 60, most people aren't doing much to protect themselves. But there are very long term implications to a pandemic. And I shared that in our last November series. So if you want to go back and pick that up on YouTube, I really talked about the history of pandemics. And I looked at basically back to 432 BC. There are lots and lots of of data about pandemics and the long-term impacts. And so today I'm going to really focus initially on this individual and societal impacts of COVID-19. So there are five things that we have seen with COVID-19, which also historically pans out with all the other pandemics, but that's I want to emphasize these in particular. The first is a major decline in trust of expertise, both knowledge, education, and experience. So just because you might have a, you know, a baccalaureate or master's degree or a PhD or you're a physician or any highly educated person, that does not mean that the public will trust you. And we have certainly seen that with people refuting medical advice uh, mm. during the pandemic, but also refuting all kinds of other advice. And so why I think it's important for as you're listening to me and our dialogue back and forth between Alex today, I want you to think about how this will impact you as a continuity professional and, re- and, and, and working in resiliency to be able to do your work, understanding that people may not necessarily trust your knowledge, which is kind of scary when you begin to think about that, right? So there's a general decline in overall trust. There's also a general decline in the trust of people universally, where people are more suspicious. People are more concerned about, uh, you know, just keeping it close within their own group, let's say. And we certainly see that here in the States. Do you see that in Canada as well? Yep. Yeah, we see it but amongst our own uh, political parties or, uh, you know, special interest groups or mm-hmm. anybody that uh, doesn't agree with someone right off the bat. They don't trust it. And to the first point you said, it doesn't matter if you're a clinical doc- doctor or nurse that's been around for 30, 40 years. It makes no difference. Right. You know, they just don't trust you because, <clears throat> you know, they see things or read things on social media and People don't know what to believe is true anymore. So if you can't figure that out, don't trust anybody. Right, right. And that's 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 a huge impact for democracies, right? Yeah. Um, there's been a huge issue in inequalities really being exacerbated. So you see that with the rise in anti-Semitism. You see that in the rise of a race-related issues in many parts of the world and certainly in the United States. You see that with um, uh, LGBTQ folks. All, there's there's a whole kind of um, issue related to inequality and uh, people that are a lower income. Um, it's really been an issue. We certainly saw that in the United States, but you've seen that throughout the world. And certainly we've had political divisions. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. Our country is just ripped to shreds. And, and we're not the only one um, where there's increasing division politically 
and where it becomes even a hot button in your work environment and the people that you work with. So that's another real significant major issue. But then the biggest one that has really, I think, will be with us for a very long time and has huge ramifications to both democracies, the way governments work, but the way businesses work, and to some extent, even the kind of work that we might be doing. And that is this rise of misinformation and even worse, disinformation. So to give you just a definition so we're on the same page here, misinformation is false information that's, that's out there. But disinformation is information that is purposely uh, misleading and it's biased and it basically allows you to manipulate the story. And it's really what we used to call propaganda. And there's Mm -hmm. so much of that, so much of that. And again, when you're thinking about how you communicate what you do, how you engage your audiences and resiliency, we need to be thinking about these types of issues. Now, you might say, well, Regina, that's crazy because you're talking about the pandemic and now you're sort of tying it back to the work we do. That's part of our concern, right? That's part of our issues is that we have to be seen as a reliable messenger. We have to be a trusted messenger. And we need to understand that there's lots of things going on that are not necessarily in our best interest. There's also five specific global disruptions that are going on as well as these individual ones that I've mentioned. Uh, Certainly financial hardships. Now, here in the U.S., we have been talking about really high inflation compared to historically. It's about a a significant over a 20-year high. But compared to other countries, we actually look like pikers in some ways. I mean, there's inflation as high as 100% in Argentina, but around the world, inflation is really problematic. Um, and also there are things such as things such as the fear of recession and, and actual recessions occurring in many countries. There's a lot of discussions about recessions here in the United States. But again, that's a problem as well. But then also what you're seeing is in, in poorer countries, they're also getting a decrease in foreign aid, which is re- impacting them even further. So financially, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of hardship around the world. There's incredible global instability, probably the most instability um, that I've had uh, that I can think of in my uh, adult life. Uh, I grew up, of course, in the Cold War, which was the last time that was really felt as it is today, but in tremendous amount of global insecurity, which then makes it very difficult for us uh, in our work, but also uh, in countries as well. I'm, I'm designing right now uh, probably five or six exercises related to the Russia a conflict with Ukraine and the impact in Europe, but also China and Taiwan, because a lot of companies are really concerned about what ha- would happen if either one of those uh, particular uh, situations escalate. There's a lot of food insecurity. A lot of that happens to be because of the Ukraine grain embargoes. Ukraine is one of the greatest grain baskets in the world, but so is Russia. And so there are a lot of company cu- countries, especially in Africa, that are facing famine because the, that grain is not getting out um, and actually being able to provide food for so many. And the supply chain disruptions, how many times have we talked mm-hmm. about that? Oh, my gosh, in the last uh, three years, Alex, it's been nonstop. But it's still happening. And, of course, with the, the COVID meltdown in China, which we did not discuss, but is certainly widely in the news, uh, that they're not doing lockdowns anymore, but people are sick and dying and dropping like flies. So there are still supply chain issues because of that. 
And then lastly, there's been an increase in crime globally. Um, global, uh, global gangs, global uh, ransomware attacks. There's a lot of people taking advantage of all of this uncertainty in the world. And all of these things uh, really play into the kind of work that we do. So when you think about resiliency, it's not just about what's happening at the individual level, but it's really the global level. And we in our field have to be looking at these things and be aware of them all the time. Sometimes sometimes the, the scope is kind of hard to grasp. Because oh, my gosh. There is so much. You know, there, there's the saying, what is it? Uh, uh, think lo- think globally, act locally. Yep. I, th- I think that's it. So you're focusing on your, your own little area, your own uh, fiefdom. <laughs> your, your right, right. Influence, trying to get that right. But meanwhile, everything around you is yeah. still going crazy. And it, it's got to be really tough to wrap your head around sometimes. Totally agree. Totally agree. Is this a good time for a break, Alex? Actually, I was going to say that. Let's take a break now because I know you're going to start on a new subject. And mm-hmm. believe it or not, we will actually be at the 16-minute mark. I don't think that ever Woo-hoo! happens to us. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. We're talking with Regina Phelps today, and we will be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Not enough women are talking about money. Lisa Chastain is aiming to change that. If you are feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become more capable with your financial choices. Listen in and hear stories from other women on how they tackled their financial challenges. You will learn from leading industry experts all the tips, tricks, and advice that you need to establish financial confidence and freedom. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. 
Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps. Regina, great information there about the societal impacts and uh, uh, the, the things that are changing that we need to consider. And now let's move on. You've got some uh, another section, a human uh, aspect. Exactly right. Exactly right. So I really want to focus on uh, the two two major issues related to the impacts of the global pandemic. And as I'm talking through these, uh, Alex and I are going to continue to banter back and forth. But I really want you to be thinking about it from the perspective of your own personal life, but also uh, your work, your community, your country that you live in, uh, and what this really means. And in our work, I think it has huge implications. So, well, let's first of all talk about this concept about the human impact of the pandemic. And there are many, many pieces to this. So first of all, there's the obvious loss of life. And I just want to stop for a moment and acknowledge that. Um, and what I want to talk about is just briefly something called excess deaths. I've talked about this before periodically. Um, but as you can see, our excess death toll has really changed a lot. So our excess, our actual official death toll is 6.7 million. As you can see at the bottom on that graph from The Economist, this was actually pulled yesterday. Uh, but the excess deaths are around 21.3 million, which is about three times more. And those are people that either uh, weren't counted as a COVID death because they weren't tested. Perhaps they had a heart attack because they couldn't get to the emergency room. Um, many reasons why we have excess deaths. So when you look at a pandemic and they talk about the actual, actual death toll, the actual death toll and the real uh, the real impact of the community as far as excess death is often much, much greater. Uh, and so that's what I want you to get, just get a sense of. There's a lot of people that have died as a result of this. So obviously the loss of life. Uh, and this is also regionally, as we all know. So you can see it from this particular slide. If you're looking on YouTube, this is actually from The Economist as of yesterday, the 22nd of January. And what you'll see is that you can see what the estimated deaths are versus the real deaths. And what you'll see with the Asia numbers, this is before uh, China reported 60,000 deaths in, from COVID in the last th three weeks. So this is before that official toll was actually entered. But there are huge numbers of people that have died around the world, and especially in developing nations. Uh, you'll see that just really astronomical. So for example, in, in Africa is a really good example of that, where it's the uh, estimated death is about 800% higher than the actual real death because they just aren't counting counting deaths there in that location. So obviously wow. people have been dying. But there are also, stop and think about this, and think about this with yourself, your family, your employees. There are many health impacts that have yet to be realized. Okay, you say, what the heck are you talking about, Regina? So just think about the uh, disruptions to medical care that occurred in the pandemic that are still happening today. And I'll talk more about that. The impacts on healthcare has been phenomenal, but there's been a huge drop in many routine things. So for example, in, in 2020, there was a gigantic drop off in what we would expect to be hospitalizations for urgent cardiac issues. So people with chest pain, people with uh, maybe blurred vision, 
thinking of a stroke. And many of those people may have died and they might be included in the excess death rate, or perhaps they just deferred care. And now because they didn't get that care, they're now going to have a worse outcome over time because they failed to have that kind of medical treatment when they needed it. Think about things such as routine screenings for for breast cancer, colon cancer, cervical cancer, ovarian cancer, all those other types of, those those have dramatically dropped off here in the United States, um, not just in 2020, but still. Delayed appointments for things that uh, because people either didn't want to go to the doctor, they were afraid to go to the doctor. But now in, in, the, Cal- in the United States, it's hard to get doctor's appointments in a timely manner simply because the healthcare system has been so devastated. So now you have these delayed treatments and that could have long-term health impacts. So delayed cancer treatments, there's been a huge drop off in routine childhood vaccines that have not caught up from 2020. There's been delayed surgeries, delayed other procedures, even things like delayed dentistry, which you may say, well, that's just your teeth. Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, if you have any kind of oral infections, you have that that can actually, uh, uh, those bacteria can move throughout your bloodstream, can impact heart valves and other parts of your body. So many things that have gone on in healthcare in the last three years have yet to be realized, but it could have be a long-term issue for somebody as they continue to age. So that's another issue, which affects everybody who's listening to us and ourselves. I, I can admit to delaying my dental appointments, especially ah. during COVID. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I just did not want to go someplace where someone was so close to me mm-hmm. and I'm not wearing a mask, whether they were or not, there was just no way I wanted to be that close to somebody. And, yep. you know, I, I will admit I, I delayed my appointments. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, you're not the only one. And I think, you know, and yeah, people may say, well, well, uh, you can catch up. You know, well, there's some things that still you can't really catch up, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's important to understand that the the impacts can go a long way. One I think that we are still seeing and and is the mental health impacts of the pandemic. I was speaking with a friend today and we were talking about kids in particular between the ages of 15 and say 25 or 30, how the imp- the mental impacts of the pandemic are still a major issue for these kids. And um, and they're not the only ones that are suffering. So be- before the pandemic, there was a, a statistic that one in f- 10 people reported being either anxious or depressed. But now since the pandemic, it's about uh, one in four. Well, that's a pretty significant number. Think about that with yourself, your family members, your coworkers, um, people in your community. There's have we have a huge issue with mental health, certainly in the United yeah. States, but I believe also around the world. Anxiety and depression is becoming far more common, uh, but also things such as eating disorders, sleeping problems, and that affects their ability to do our job, to be a productive citizen, to be able to be able to work effectively. Uh, so it has huge impacts in the workforce, but also, of course, in our daily and personal lives. The number of people that have been abusing alcohol in particular has really gone up. It's increased by at least 12%, but also other substances as well. I mean, the increase in alcohol consumption in the United States has skyrocketed since 2020 because people were just numbing themselves out at home, uh, not going to bars anymore, but they were buying wine or alcohol of any kind and drinking it at home. So there's been a huge increase in the consumption of alcohol, which generally 
is not such a great thing for your health and certainly not for your mental health as well. And so, and I just wanted to point out, and some governments didn't help with that. Here in Ontario, you know, uh, concerts and things like that were canceled. You couldn't go to that, but they would make special arrangements to have the liquor control board uh, or liquor stores open. Interesting. And I did agree with that because I just went, that makes no sense to me. You know, right. you're, you're almost pushing alcohol on people. Right. But because it's government owned and they make money, that's why they did it. Well, you know, and it's really funny. We, we had the same issue funny. here in California. I can remember on the day of our lockdown where California started, we started three days before the national lockdown in the United States. So in California, they gave the word that, okay, today today at five o'clock or, you know, at midnight today, it was like the 16th of March, we're locking down. So I went, I went like, oh my God, what do I need? What do I need? What do I need? So I went to the grocery store and I, I didn't really need anything, but I felt panicky, right? Like, oh my God. And so yeah. what I noticed was, as I went to the grocery store, I passed two other locations on my way. One was a uh, BevMo, which is a liquor store. The parking lot was packed and there were cars backed way out into the street. And I said, okay, well, that means we have to drink a lot. <laughs> Indeed, we're having a pandemic. And the second place yeah. I passed on the way to the grocery store was, a, a we know, a marijuana is legal in California, was the marijuana distributor. And they were literally the dispensary. There were people le- wrapped around the block. Yeah. And then I got to Safeway. <laughs> and there were so many people I went like, oh, my God. OK, I'm not I just went home. But I was shocked at the alcohol and the marijuana. Uh, yeah. It was just amazing. Uh, so other kinds of issues. So there's been more increased issues of chronic conditions such as heart disease, uh, um, uh, uh, diabetes, uh, migraines, chronic fatigue, autoimmune diseases. All of these things contribute to a real impact to people's mental health. And that is a big issue in the workplace. And so if you have some big activation because you have some other crisis going on, you need to remember that the mental health of the people that are responding to you is already fried and that you might need more people. You might need to have a different mix of people. You might need to look at things differently because it's not like it was before the pandemic. Regardless of how people say that they're over it, they're really not over it. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. something we need to think about as professionals. Long COVID. I mean, this is the ticking time bomb, right? And, you know, I've actually seen studies very recently here in the United States about long COVID being one of the big reasons that people are are not able to fill positions because there are a lot of job openings and the the, the unemployment rate still remains very low. But there are a lot of people that are not available to work. That impacts us and what we do for a living, uh, either because we have less people doing jobs. But just think about that when you actually have any kind of an activation is that you may not have the number of people or the routine people or the usual people you've always had. Long COVID is a big deal. Uh, Every time we get another big surge of infections, we have more people that start having long COVID. Uh, And there are many studies going on worldwide but it really is an autoimmune disease that is triggered by COVID and is very much like a chronic fatigue syndrome. So it leaves people with the inability to do their job. And that means that they're not able to financially support themselves, which of course impacts their mental health. 
Uh, it also it makes makes it difficult for them to often maintain insurance, not so much as you're concerned in Canada, but certainly in the United States. And so there are some major issues related to that. There's already estimated there are 16.3 million Americans in the United States between 18 and 25 who have long COVID. And about two to four million of those are out of work because of this illness. And if you look at our uh, need for workers, that's where those people are. Uh, mm-hmm. The loss of workers are primarily between issues of long COVID and secondarily are people that retired early because they would have worked longer if it hadn't been for the pandemic, but they reached an age or, you know, and financially were able, they left the workforce and they're not coming back. And that impacts what we do for a living as well. And then lastly, the annual cost of wages is about 170 billion US dollars, but it could be as high as 230 billion. So the, financially, this is a big impact to the United States. And if you then take that and you spread that around the world, it's a big deal. Do you see, do you have much conversations about long COVID in Canada? I'm not seeing uh, a lot of it, but it is starting to uh, make the odd headline now and then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it, it, maybe it was just denial by some people, you know, like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. Get over it, right? Yeah, exactly. Get over it. You know, COVID's done. You know, you're just using it as an excuse. But as uh, mental health concerns uh, are on the increase and um, some people unable to return to work and more and more people are speaking out saying that, hey, I had COVID and I'm still feeling, you know, like this months and months later, I think people are are, are now starting to pay attention to it. So it's mm-hmm. starting to um, make the headlines here, uh, mm-hmm. but it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and again, just to remind people about the kinds of things that you look at with long COVID is that uh, long COVID is essentially where any any part of your body where there's an ACE2 receptor, and that's pretty much, oh, I don't know, everything. So if you look at the slide here, that's your brain, that's your whole entire nervous system, that's your lungs, your heart, your pancreas, your intestines, your kidneys, your liver, uh, you know, like all the important things. And the, and the slide demonstrates or shows the actual symptoms of long COVID, which are a lot of things related to impact to your vision, impact to uh, overall fatigue and muscle pain and anything related to your intestines and heart related issues and palpitations. And, you know, it's a long list of things that people suffer from. So it is a major, major deal. So when people say again, you know, it's like the flu, it's like, no, no, it's not. You know, the flu only affects mm-hmm. your lungs. This thing affects everything. Um and that's why long COVID is such a big deal. I want to talk about this because this is super important. And this is a human impact and it's impacting people all around the world. There is a gigantic impact to healthcare providers. And I was reading uh, this uh, in, the, in The Economist just last week, posted it on LinkedIn, talking about every country in the world. They talked about Canada. They talked about the UK, the EU, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, Everyone is suffering from an impact to healthcare. Uh, providers, systems are overloaded. People are burned out and people can't get appointments. It's bad. Have you had any experience at all with this uh, yourself or anybody you know? Uh, a few people I know, yes. And they are tired. And I know one person who did leave yeah. the industry. Um, they were just burnt out after three years. They just said, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've had enough. And we're hearing it all the time, yeah. and you can hear it in um, you know, when I when I call my doctor's office, 
I could hear, you know, that it wasn't the an upbeat greeting, so to speak. It was right. they're not so chipper anymore. Like, right? Oh my god, I'm still answering the phone. You know what? <laughs> you right. know, not that they were behaving that way, but you can you can just tell. You can feel it, yeah. Yeah, you can feel, you know, the person at the other end, they're tired. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah, and the, those- this is a this is a big, big deal. And so I really want you know, people to understand that the pandemic, pandemic may be over for you, but there are a lot of people that are emotionally, physically done. And unfortunately, there are healthcare providers, physicians, nurses, laboratory professionals, x-ray techs, they're done. And that means that for you, me, who need healthcare, that's a problem. Um, one in five healthcare workers have already left the field. So you're looking right now at 20%, right? Um, there are 31% of the people left who are, are already thinking about leaving their current employer and perhaps even leaving the profession. And one in five physicians say it's likely that they are going to leave their practice in the next uh, two years. I attended a virtual um, medical meeting in New York, and they did a survey of all the physicians in New York and uh, New York the state. Uh, 40% or 20% of them, excuse me, no, 20% of them are over the age of 60. So keep that in mind. And over uh, 62% of them, 62% said they were burned out. Hmm. So the ones that are over 60 are probably very likely going to retire sooner than they probably would have. And those 62% of the people that are burned out, what's going to happen with them? So, wow. You know, that's that set me back when I heard that. One in three doctors and other healthcare professors, professionals say they intend to reduce their work hours in the next 12 months. And what they're saying is like, I'm not going to work the 60 hours a week I did or the 80 hours a week. I'm done. Okay, well, think about, again, physicians, appointments, surgeries, all of those things, that's all going to change. And so this pandemic will have a very long impact on all of us trying to get healthcare. And that's doesn't matter where you live in the world. It's a big, big deal. Another thing that's really important to stop and reflect on is the loss of education and earning potential. Now, I went back and did quite a bit of research about this, that this has been repeated in all pandemics, that kids never, that were in the school system between the ages of 5 and 18, historically never make up that learning loss. And it has an impact on their earnings the rest of their life, which I thought was kind of horrifying. This was a study done by the World Bank. So in 2020, we had school closures that left, you know, a huge number of people, almost all the kids of the planet out of school. And the World Bank at that time in June 2020 said that there would be, they estimated just by that closure alone, that there would be a loss of $10 trillion in earnings over the time of that generation's of that of that generation's um, kids, that they're never going to make that up because of that loss of learning uh, earning potential. In 2021, they went back and revised that schedule that study and said there will be a 17 trillion dollar loss in lifetime earnings that they will never make up, which I thought was fascinating. It's again based on historical uh, data, but also on what they've seen uh, and are experiencing uh, already. And this is what's called a learning poverty, essentially, is that even in well-developed nations, kids are going to be severely, have, have an impact. There's there's be very few kids who don't have an impact from this. So future productivity, future earnings, overall well-being of an entire generation of kids 
between that were in school between five and 18 and their families and the world economy. And that's a big deal. Uh, and we need to think about that when we think about, you know, yes, people come through the workforce. These kids may not necessarily have the skills that we would have expected or wanted to see. And just think about that when they come into your workplace and are going to be part of your programs. And so this is essentially what the World Bank uh, has forecasted is that now uh, instead of having 53 kids in learning poverty globally, especially in less developed nations, now that they're going to be 63 out of 100 kids that are in learning poverty worldwide. So it's a huge impact. Well, that what you think of, you know, you think of especially the developing nations, a very big deal. And, there's, and losses are more severe than others, right? So around the world, the pandemic is really exacerbated, as we talked about earlier, inequities in education, but especially in low-income low households, especially people with disabilities, and also in many parts of the world, girls in particular. Yeah. Because if there was limited access to education in many places, the boys in the family got it and the girls did not. And that will be a big impact for, uh, again, the globe. And younger students, of course, were less uh, capable of doing remote learning. And so they have a bigger learning loss uh, as far as the ability to read and, and, you know, do basic math and those kinds of things at a younger age. Uh, and the most marginalized uh, populations, the most vulnerable students, of course, are the ones that are going to be disproportionately impacted. So that's the issue related to um, the impact to humans. What do you think about that? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't know what to say. There is so much there to think about. And it's interrelated, too, because some of those last few points that you mentioned, um, the learning poverty, well, that also, um, the loss of opportunities creates frustration, which drives people to the um, the alcohol and the drugs and some of those other areas that crime. you mentioned earlier as well, in crime. And so it all, they all inter interrelate on, on one one level and it's it's a lot to really take in it is a lot and i as i was doing the research for this particular uh talk but others that i've given in this area i think we and i noticed that we're all, we're gonna we're approaching our uh end of our time so we're gonna probably yep. have to carry this one to the next one Two but minutes. i want people I, I want people to think about that as we discuss this that this impacts our entire society and when we think about the work that we do it's important that we as continuity professionals understand what this means because we need to be able to recover our organizations. But for that, we need to have, you know, capable individuals who help us. We need to have trained workers. We need to be able to, um, to, you know, run our businesses with, um, with 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 people and we are really going to be suffering in some cases because of the things that i've talked about both in learning loss uh income loss issues related to healthcare, and so i think it's important that we need to always keep a bigger vision yeah. about what's going on societally in the work that we do because we can't look at it myopically we have to be bigger and that's what i'm really going to talk about when i talk with you in february oh my mm -hmm. god I I couldn't agree with you more because as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, we got to get, we should have by now, uh, people in our industry gotten beyond the the talk of tornadoes, hurricanes, and all those kind of threats. Mm -hmm. We really need to focus on these people aspects. 
Well, and just think about that with how you write plans and how yeah. you do things that, that mm-hmm. we may have to be thinking differently than yeah. we have historically. And we yeah. can't just keep ch- churning out our same old stuff. We may have a very, very different population coming to us soon in the next four or five years in the workplace that have gone through this educational process. And we've all suffered through this pandemic. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting few years. Mm. Amen, brother. (laughs) We've come to the end of the show. Regina, thanks very much for this update. And yeah, we will have to... uh, continue this discussion i know what do we, we always update. drag it on to the next month don't we i don't know what that is but it's because you have so much good information I never, you know, so that, that's <laughs> we have wonderful. lots to talk about right yep we do yeah. <laughs> so thanks very much regina uh always appreciate having you on the show and chatting um i always enjoy it thanks very much You're and everybody watching and listening stay prepared everybody Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.